Grace Point, which I felt very welcomed by you. <laughs> Hello, Grace Point. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're here. If you're watching, thank you for watching. I'm also glad that uh, we have put back every chair that we took away from COVID, and we are ready uh, for Easter. We're just, you know, as God is filling up our services, especially the second service, it's great to add more chairs. Uh, today is part two of a very difficult, challenge, challenging, but very important series called The Untouchables. We're looking at four hot cultural topics. All four of these have been in the news this week, and we call it Untouchables because in many churches, <laughs> churches don't want to touch these things, but I think, I believe it's really important that we understand. This is a quite, if you're new to Grace Point, this is a very unique series but uh, we're, we're going to be looking at, we, look, we looked last week at abortion, and as difficult as it was, and then there's abortion and transgenderism and critical race theory. And um, I, the whole premise of this is asking this question of every single one of us, every single one of you need to a- answer this question is, how do you determine right versus wrong? How do you determine right versus wrong? And last week you said, well, you know, I, I think and we give our answer, or I feel and give our answer, or I believe and give our answer. But based upon what? Based upon what? Uh, the average American surveys say they make a decision on right and wrong based upon how they feel, uh, their own personal experience, and what their friends and family think about the issue, and then they make their decision. The, the thing about all three of these, all three of these can change. It, you, you're just like me. We, we've thought one way in the past, and we don't think that way anymore. We feel felt one way, and now we don't feel that way. We even believe certain things and don't believe those anymore. All three of these change, and also all three of these can be wrong. That is why I gave last week the wise answer to based upon what is what, what we call as an objective standard of truth objective standard of truth. An objective standard of truth is unbiased, unchanging, and doesn't really care what I think or what I feel and what I believe. And last week, y'all laughed at me because I, 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 I think and I feel and I believe I still weigh what I graduated from high school with, I weigh 150 pounds. And I'm holding to it. But then I come to an objective standard, the one... You know, one of the things in the doctor's office we want to avoid like the plague because this weigh scale doesn't care. It's not going to tell me based upon what I think, what I feel, what I believe because it's going to be objective, unbiased, doesn't care what, about those things. And like, oh, Lord, I am far away from when I was 18 years old. Thank you for not laughing this week. <laughs> Our culture left and right, is rejecting any objective standard of truth, which has produced confusion and chaos in America. If all truth is relative, then everything's going to be chaotic and confusing. And I shared last week that, for me, my objective standard of truth is the word of God. It's the word of God. And if you weren't here last week, I gave four evidences of why I believe that this is indeed the word of God. 
and that it is not just any book, that it stands alone of any literature, especially any ancient literature, and I, I gave evidences for, for, for all of that. Isaiah 45 says this, God himself is talking. God himself is talking to the, the prophet Isaiah, and, he's, and Isaiah is writing it down. God says, for, for this is what the Lord says, and it's kind of hilarious. Then God drops his resume, part of his resume to us. This is what the Lord says. He, just want to remind you, he who created the heavens, he is God, uh, point two on a resume. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it, and, 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 he, and he did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. So God is saying, I, I, I the Lord, am, this is what I'm going to say. Got to remind you of my resume. And then he goes on to say this. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other, meaning no other God, period. I have not spoken in secret for, from somewhere in the land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. See, another reason why God had his words written down you know, 45 different authors over the span of 1,500 years is because God was like, I don't want you to be in the dark of where I stand, who I am, my nature, my plan for mankind. I, I put all, all this down. God says, I have not spoken in secret. And we, we can turn to uh, the word of God. In fact, just yesterday I saw, they're saying one of the greatest archaeological uh, finds in the history they just found in Israel, the first time that the word, the name of God, Yahweh, was written down in some tablet. I mean, this is like, I mean, thousands of years before Jesus came to earth. So God says, I, I, I haven't shared who I am and what is right and wrong. I haven't spoken in secret. And he goes on to say, I, the Lord, speak the truth and I declare what is right. Uh, a committee doesn't declare what is right. A Congress, thank Jesus, does not declare what is right. God makes it very clear. I, the Lord, speak the truth and I, de I declare what is right. So anyways, that's the, the basis uh, of, of my biblical filter. I take any issue and run it through the filter of God's word to arrive at my decision or my, I, you know, this is right, this is wrong, not based upon Barry, but based upon the word of God. Now, you may disagree with that, but you have to wrestle with what do you base big decisions right and wrong on. I've just gone public and shared mine, and I last week gave evidences of that, but if you're not a follower of Christ, it's a, you know, you got to, at least you know where, I'm getting my answers from in this series. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's amazing, only 6% of all Christians um, have a biblical worldview. And if you're not a Christ follower with, without a biblical worldview, I'm challenging you to really look in the mirror. What are you really basing your right and wrong based upon? I hope that this series will help you at least understand that you do have answers and maybe this will be helpful to how to respond when you run into a person, a family member, a coworker that says, well, I think this, and you go, man, I, at least I can know how to answer that um, in, in, in response to that.
Well, today, the second issue we're going to talk about is the issue of homosexuality. It's extremely sensitive. Uh, Many of us, myself included, many of us have people that we know and we love who have declared that they're homosexual or they have shared that they have same-sex attraction. So this is very, very sensitive uh, uh, to us. The problem is, the problem is that many Christians and the church at large, how they have responded, how they have reacted in this situation with this issue has been incredibly damaging. It has has destroyed relationships, it has fractured families, and it has even shattered people's faith with how the church or a Christian responds to this. I grew up in a church that was solid with teaching truth, biblical truth, but they taught it with zero grace. Zero grace. I've prayed for months leading up to this series that my prayer that I will say what God wants me to say, only what God wants me to say, how God wants me to say it. Tone and tenor is very important on very delicate issues. I have found personal experience, I have found in my conversation with people that I love, people that I know, relatives of mine, former basketball players on my teams who have come out as homosexual or have admitted same-sex attractions, I have found that in talking about this issue with love and gentleness and grace goes a long way. Goes a long way. Now here's a true statement. Disagreement does not equal hate. That's what we're hearing. Advertised, canceled people, canceled pastors, canceled uh, whatever. Anybody says, you know, you, I, you know, you disagree with me that therefore it hates. No, it doesn't. But how, I'm talking to believers here, but how we disagree can be received as hate. And that has happened one too many times, how we disagree. Now, today I'm going to start with a premise, with a broad view premise, and then get closer and closer and hit this issue head on with Scripture. The first um, thing I want to just mention is that one of the primary needs of human beings is love. We crave it, we desire it, we'll go to the ends of the earth and back to find it. We are driven by it because we were made to love, you know, to love others and to to be loved ourselves. I'll tell you why in just a minute. But that's that's like a core need of every human being, of every culture of all time. Is love. Now, sex, sex is God's gift to bond and to express human love in an intimate way. 
Sex was designed by God. It's a gift to bond and express human love in an intimate way. We will come back to that. Now, why is our number one need in life love? Is because God is love. God is the source of love. Why do we have this need? Because we were made in the image of God. And, and, and God's, you know, like one of his main cores, one of the essence of who God is, is love. That is why God's plan of redemption for mankind since the, the, the earth experienced sin for the first, God, first time, God has been pursuing mankind to redeem us, to have a relationship with us, and he does it out of love. There's no, there's no made-up religion that has this, that God pursues you and I because of love. Love ran red on the cross because the sin of mankind needed a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus, the son of God, left heaven to take on human flesh to be the perfect sacrifice. And he did it because he loves us. Don't ever forget that. And don't ever, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't ever become numb to that. God loves us. But love doesn't mean there's no guardrails. Love doesn't mean God condones any and everything. Because the one essence of God is love. The another like co-equal essence of who God is, is that he is holy. If you just fully grasp those two essence of God, that he is love. He's not up in heaven angry, ticked off at you. He loves you. But God is also holy. He's not human. He says in Isaiah, my, my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens. I mean, you just go into the galaxy, to the earth, the distance of there. God goes, I am holy. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I would add to that, God's timing is never our timing. And his truth is often not our truth. But he tells us what is true. But we, we don't want to rise to God's standards. We want to bring God down to our standards. That's Western civilization. That's the world today. But God is love, but he's also holy at the exact same time. If you're taking notes, the central point has two parts. The central point today is this. According to scripture, every week we're going to start with this. It's according to scripture, not according to Barry. But according to scripture, God designed the gift of sex for a powerful expression of love. It so goes back to God's design. The second part of it is, is that God's holiness also established boundaries for this gift. God loves, you know, he loves us and he says, I, I, I want to allow human beings, I want to give human beings this amazing, powerful gift he, he, that, that, that 
you know, for the whole purpose of bonding and expressing human love in an intimate fashion, but his holiness also establishes boundaries for this gift. He's, he's the author of the gift, and he has the right because he's God to lay boundaries. God's designs, that's the purpose, but God's design for sex is threefold. It's, first of all, you know, Genesis chapter, chapter 2, right off the bat, I mean, God created Adam and Eve, and he says now, procreate, have lots of babies and fill the earth. You can't do that without sex. And then pleasure. God designed this gift for pleasure. Just read Song of Songs chapter 5 and chapter 7 when God brings us right into the bridal tent and also a little bit later as a husband and wife and is very intimate, it's very passionate, and God is not ashamed to talk about what he created. It was created for pleasure as well. But God also designed sex, that gift of sex, to be pure. Hebrews 13 says this. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept, what? Pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all, don't miss that word, and all the sexually immoral. This gift is special to God. He says it is also to be kept pure. And in scripture, a number of places, God says this is the gift and I wanna, I'm going to be a blessing. I want to give this amazing gift for a husband and a wife in the confines, the barriers, the boundary lines of marriage. But also in Scripture, God gives all kinds of out-of-bounds sex. This is from God's word, out-of-bounds sex. It's out-of-bounds to have sex before marriage. That's God's rules, not mine. Out-of-bounds uh, sex is you have sex while you're married to somebody else. That's not your spouse. God says that's out of bounds. God says it's out of bounds to pay for sex. God says it's out of bounds to have sex with the same sex. Uh, uh, God says it's out of bounds to have sex with family members. God says it's out of bounds to have sex with animals and also with children. I'm not trying to gross anybody out. Okay, I'm just telling you, God covers a lot of areas. We like to focus on one. God says, no, 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 I got, I got a lot of situations that are out of bounds. Now, ever since mankind has walked the earth, God, they want to ignore or legalize God's boundary lines. All right, th these four are now legalized in our cult culture. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but there's an undercurrent growing in our country to legalize this. It's, it's, it's a strategy, they put it in a book in the 80s. This is their strategy. But that's, that's human nature. God lays a line and mankind wants to cross it and then legalize it for their benefit. But also for your notes is this, God takes great offense when the gift of sex goes beyond his boundaries. God takes great offense. He's the author of sex. He's the, you know, the cheerleader for it, for husbands and wives. But anything outside of that, God takes great offense for that. Now, I want you to turn, as we get closer and closer, turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Um, I believe that this is one of the most avoided and untouchable chapters 
of scripture in America today. I've, I've, I've even seen where they, churches are going to teach through Romans and they get to this section today and they make the, the quick exit and go all the way around it and pick up again. Uh, it's like an untouchable chapter. If you're new to Bible study, cutting open the Bible in the middle, you say Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Romans, Romans chapter 1. Pick up in verse 18. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Now look carefully. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Like we're going to suppress the truth. We're going to ignore the truth. We want to twist the truth uh, because we want to go on with our way with wickedness. Verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. Remember, God says, I didn't hide my truth for you in the darkness. I made it known. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, one, his eternal power, two, and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, meaning I believe that there is a God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became Fools. If there is a Bible verse for America today, it's this verse. Although they claim to be wise, they have become fools. Verse 23, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sexual desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. What God has written in his word about him, about his laws, about his guidelines, they've exchanged the truth about that for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. That error word in the Greek, actually that word means straying from the right path, wandering away from truth. Wandering away from truth. Now, you've heard me say before, if you've been here a while, Satan cannot create anything. So he takes what God creates and twists it and distorts it all, all the time. God created marriage and sex and love and desires and passions. All of that is hardwired from our creator. 
But in this chapter, in chapter one, you see a, a transition from desires to shameful desires, from passion to lustful passions, from natural sexual relations to unnatural sexual relations. See, there's the, there's the movement, the action and activity of Satan himself. Take what God has created and, and twist it and turn it to be something very different. And that's, that's why I always mention that Satan's a punk because that's what he does. The Bible says God, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I've come to give you life and life to the full. So he takes what God has created and he always, he always turns it for something completely different. Now, if you're not aware, there's a huge debate about chapter one of, uh, of Romans, the passage that I just read. Um, there are Christian theologians saying that's, it, it's not really saying what it actually should be saying. And there's, you know, there's differences in the, in the Greek language. And, and they're saying that that part says natural sexual relations to unnatural ones. The teaching today is that if someone is naturally bent towards same-sex um, attraction, that that is okay for them to go what is not natural to them to heterosexual sex is, is wrong. And, and also, I've heard debates even from someone I went to high school with um, who went to seminary, and he's in, he's in Florida, and we just had this long online debate, which is never helpful, online debate. But he was saying, no, no, that's not that what it means. What it means is that it's unnatural to force someone into sex. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about rape. But if it is consensual, whatever it is, that it's okay. The problem with that is that is completely not in the context of Scripture. It's called contextual error. So in verse 26, God makes a statement. And then verse 27, God is like, okay, now let me give you another example of this. And it's pretty clear what God is, God's word is saying. But that's just one issue that, you know, Scripture is being turned and twisted. And, well, this is what it means. And that's not what it's always meant. And now it's something new. That is not, that is not anything new. So I just answered a question. I have four of them. Of what is God's view on the issue of homosexuality? I looked at this passage, there are many others, but I chose just to focus in on this because I believe it is extremely clear. But I have more questions that I want to answer, and maybe this will help you to know the answer or to be able to share it with someone regarding this issue. Second question is this, is what would God say to a homosexual? What would God say to someone who has same-sex attraction? I would say this, God's word says that he loves you unconditionally. Here's an amazing thing about unconditional love. God's love for us is not dependent on us. 
God is not a performance-based love giver. Well, as long as you do all these things, then I'll love you. We can disobey God, and he still loves us. Now, when we obey God, he doesn't start loving us. He doesn't love us more. He just blesses us more. But we can completely walk away from God, and many of us have. And God has still been there with you, and he still loves you. So whatever any of us wrestle with, God loves you. That's, that's what God would say regarding this issue to, to a person who's in it um, or, or walking in that, in that path. I, I think God would also say, because this counters what people in the church have been, has said in the past, as you, your homosexuality will not send you to hell. Rejecting Jesus as Savior sends people to hell. Period. Period. God also would say, if you're struggling with homosexuality or same-sex attraction, God would say this to you, that you are no different than any human being next to you, in front of you, behind you. You, like every human being, was born into sin. And every human being has certain sins that we are drawn to. Certain sins that come very natural to us. There is, there is no anger gene. I'm just, I'm just angry because this is who I am. There's no anger gene. There's no lying gene. You can tell that to your kids. There is no selfish gene. There is, there is no manipulation gene. Although there are some that that comes very natural to them. Don't point fingers. There is no pride and arrogance gene. And there is no gay gene. We are all Sinners and sin damages us and breaks us. And there's things inside of us that God never intended for it to be there. But sin is a poison that is running rampant in all of our bodies. And that is why Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sins so that he can forgive us of all sin and all unrighteousness and establish a relationship with God, not through religion, but through Jesus Christ himself. So that when we die, we'll go to his place forever and there won't be an ounce of sin there. And there'll be no more conflict no internal struggles. No, I can't stand that I do this or feel this or want this. There's no more regrets in heaven. There's no more I've got to apologize. There's no more I've got to pray and ask God for forgiveness. That's all been paid for because that's why Jesus came. And the conversations that I've had with people that I love, I understand that, and, and, I, and I, I told them I understand that 
Do you believe you were born that way? Because you've had this attraction since early on. But then I, but, but this is what God's word says. And I'm, I'm sorry. And, and, and it's how you say things. How you, the tone and tenor of what you say. I would also say this and answer that question, what would God say is this, is that God can give any human being victory over any sin through the power of Jesus Christ. Because there's people in our church today who were over here sexually and now they're way over here. Is it hard? Heck yes. Any sin that comes natural, you know, the first thing you do is you lie. You know, because it comes very natural to you. To stop that is hard, but not impossible with God. Any sin can bring freedom over that sin through the power of Christ. The third of four questions I want to respond to is this. How should Christians respond to this issue of homosexuality? If you're talking with some one, a co-worker, a family member, a, a son or daughter, um, as a believer, as a, you're talking with a friend, the issue is about God's design, period. And please remember that you and I are not the judge. That is way above our pay grade. This is the issue, God's design. And I also say to Christians, if I get a little amped, I feel a little bit like Jesus when he got so irritated at the Pharisees. So if I get amped, it's toward Christians. Stay off your high horse. You're a sinner too. You point the figure and you go off on your rants and you post on social, social media, shame on you. Get off your high horse. You are a sinner too. See, Romans 1 is not all about one area that God, said, call, God calls wickedness. You keep reading in chapter 1, he talks about envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, uh, arrogant, boastful. I mean, he just goes on. And, and all that is wickedness to God. And it's a shame for churches to focus on one thing and they pounce. Because chapter 2 of Romans, he says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on others. Because all Christians do the same thing. Back to chapter 1, verse, verse 18, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We all have our own little pet sin and we, we avoid it, dis, you know, look around or justify it. It's the same thing. And chapter 2 goes on and says, you're not the judge. Why don't you focus on your own sin and your own get your own wickedness right with God? Am I getting a little amped on that? The Bible says it's an abomination to God. Yes, it does. But it's in a list of a lot of sins, and pride is also an abomination too. Let's look in the mirror. 
I would challenge people, Christians, to respond to this issue is to be a ther- uh, to not to not be a thermometer Christian. Thermometer adjust to the surrounding situation or culture. And that's what many Christians do. We'll adjust what we say, what we believe, how we respond because we want to fit into the surrounding temperature. Don't be a thermometer Christian. Be a thermostat Christian who sets sets the temperature around you. So when you are in the uh, the presence of a friend or a spouse or a son or daughter or a neighbor or a coworker, you can still believe where God draws his lines, but your temperature is love and gentleness and full of grace. The last question, how should parents family members, siblings, or friends respond to someone close to you in this issue of homosexuality. First of all, seek understanding first. Over a year ago, after a service, I was approached by a relative of ours. We love them, we love their family. And she just simply asked, could we talk? And we met right back there. And for several hours, we talked about this issue. And when she said where she stood and who she was now, I just asked questions first. Lots of questions. Because there's a reason why James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. People respond with anger first and they start, well, the Bible says it. Shut up. Listen first. So just kept asking questions. Why? Because I care about her. I deeply care about her. So ask questions about their journey. When did you start sensing this and feeling this? How was your response? Because she was... The po- at the point, completely disregarding God and church and all Christianity. Just listen, ask questions. Be careful of your words and the tone in which you use. Second thing, if you're a parent or family member or friend, is this. What, what you're to do is to love them. To love them. This is the issue, and, we, and I disagree, and I shared this, and this is why this is God's design. This is, this, is God, this is what God said, not me. But this is the issue. But then there's you, and I love you. We may disagree on the issue, but I love you. Because you kept asking me, so what do you think of me? What do you think of me? Well, I love you. Yeah, what a, there's no yeah, but. Love your, love your daughter, your granddaughter, your son, your grandson. Reaffirm their value. Reaffirm that their, their sexuality is not 100% of who they are. Love them. That doesn't mean you condone. That doesn't mean you agree. 
But your words and your actions and your attitudes will communicate your love. That's what they need. Pray for them, yes. But every time you, you text them, I'm praying for you, don't drop Bible verses that they've already heard. Don't preach. You're not the Holy Spirit. They already know where you believe, but you say, I want to pray for you. Because I can pray for your health. I can pray for your friendships. I can pray for your, your, your going to college now. I pray for, I pray for your, your financial needs. There's, there's all sorts of things you can pray about because you love them. And I was asked, but if I came to your house with my partner, would we be welcome? I'm like, absolutely. Well, why? Because I love you. But I have my partner. Well, I like to meet them. Can we spend the night? Yes, in separate rooms. <laughs> it's because my house. And you already know what I believe. The other thing, and this is huge, is don't burn bridges. Don't burn bridges. Don't burn bridges by your anger, by ostracizing them, by ignoring them, by shaming them, by ridiculing them. You're going to burn a bridge that can never maybe be restored. God put them in your life. They even put them in your family. Don't burn bridges. Because if God would do what only God can do, will there be a bridge to walk back towards you? I'm astonished at the response. And I get it. She asked me, how would you respond if Ashley, Holly, or Kaylee share with you what I'm sharing with you. I was honest. I'm like, that would hurt. But they're still my daughter. And just because two of them are married and one is dating doesn't mean that they won't go down that path. So that's why parents, you still pray. But I, they're still my daughter. It would be hard, yes. But here, here's the thing. When a son or daughter or a spouse even or, or, or someone that you know and they say, I'm, I'm choosing this, or now I'm, I'm going open with, with, with this direction. And you respond. Why are you responding so harshly? It's because you feel rejected. But in you feeling rejected of what you believe and you value, you're rejecting them, which makes Satan very happy. This is the issue. This is what I believe. We disagree but I love you. Aren't you glad God models unconditional love for us? That we should model back that my love for you is not based upon what you do. Now, I may disagree and it may be hurt, but you know what? I'm still gonna love you. Because there are two irresistible things in this broken world that all of us are a part of. There's two irresistible things. Irresistible love and authentic grace. After several hours of a conversation, praying the whole time, God 
Help me say what you want me to say. And God, I need to say it the way you would want me to say it. Because every word, there's weight on every word, God. And so we had a conversation at the end. I said, okay. Now you say all Christians are judgmental. All Christians hate hate you and, and church and all this. I said, do you feel like I hate you? Do you feel like I have, I have been your judge? I was like, oh, well, what is she going to say? She was like, I don't feel that at all. I feel like you loved me. I said, I'm always available to talk. Left that door open, and there's been several conversations since. I'm not perfect. I don't handle everything right. But I constantly think, even in preaching this, what would Jesus say and how would he say it? And that's what our response should be in this culture about this issue. Would you pray with me? God, there's so many things that I could have said, but you didn't want me to say. Paths to walk down, but you didn't want me to walk down those paths. Lord, I pray that your truth, your words, your your guidelines and boundary lines would have been clear today. But Lord, I pray that the people that, lo- that we love and care for who are, are in homosexuality or going down the path of, of same-sex attraction, I pray, God, if you give us an opportunity to love them, I pray that we'll take it. I pray when it, we have an opportunity to share what we believe based upon your truth, your word, I pray that we would share it with grace and gentleness and love. Lord, I pray that this will be of help today. I thank you, God, for your word and the truth that you declare, as hard as it is at times. I pray all this in the name of Jesus and say, amen. Thank you for um, being, not only being here, but many of you have reached out and said you're praying for me. Thank you. That means the world to me. If you're a guest today or if you've been coming a little bit and you've never gotten to guest services, uh, please do so. We have a gift for you to say thank you for coming. I appreciate your prayers. I pray that we will see you next week. Have a great day. Amen.